Hello and welcome to the UMC Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Reinders, and if you're listening right now, then you're either a first-time listener or you're willing to give us a second shot after our rambling first episode. So either way, thank you for joining us. We're just really glad to have you uh, here and um, glad that uh, you care about uh, what we have to say, or at least what our guests say. So throughout the first season of the podcast, we're catching up with the speakers from the very first lead conference, which was held in 2012 in Las Vegas, Nevada. At that conference, we invited up-and-coming leaders in the church to come and share with us their thoughts and ideas and stories related to being in ministry uh, with uh, young adults in particular. And our first speaker to ever step on the lead stage was Mr. Chris Wilterdink. And in the interview you're about to hear with him, uh, he'll share about who he is and um, what he talked about at the 2012 lead conference and uh, what he's up to these days. Before we get to that interview, just a reminder that the 2017 UMC Lead Conference is coming up very soon. It will be held January 22nd through 25th in Charlotte, North Carolina. There are some spots left, but if you want to stay in the official conference hotel, you'll need to register by December 20th. You can learn more about the conference, including information about our speakers and immersion experiences by visiting umclead.net. We hope you'll join us. So now here's my interview with Chris Wilterdink. And just a little disclaimer, um, I'm still learning the ropes of podcasting and interviewing and all that good stuff. Uh, So there isn't going to be a formal end to the interview. It'll sound like it just kind of abruptly cuts off, and I promise you that that was uh, on purpose. And I also promise you that as the season goes on, my interviewing and editing skills get better. Anyway, um, enjoy uh, the interview, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. For our first guest, we have Chris Wilterdink, whose official title is... Director of Program Development for Young People's Ministries in the United States at Discipleship Ministries. You have the distinction, I believe, you may correct me here, which would be very embarrassing. I believe you were the first speaker ever at a lead conference to go on stage. Is that correct? Was I really? All the way out there in Las Vegas? I believe so. Awesome. I, I think that the organizers that year, I think you and Glenn probably had something to do with that. Because as I remember, there was a, a healthy little handful of us and it was just kind of luck of the draw for who got to go first. But yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, no, I did, we definitely just picked the best looking speaker to go first. So I'm so glad that this is being recorded. Yes, yes, that will now go on the official record. Um, you know, it was so long ago. I remember you talked about um, being in ministry with young adults. In fact, I believe that was sort of the requirement for all the talks that first year was you had to talk about some innovative solution for being in ministry with young adults. And um, can you remind us? what your talk was, if you remember that. Yeah, I I think that I can remember, you know, some good parts of it, I think. Uh, the conversation about solutions around ministry with young adults, I think was the genesis of my idea for, for my talk at that first lead, um, because it had to I'd do with the idea of being lost. Uh, the idea that... Um, 
young adults at that time, and I would still probably make the case for today, are kind of considered a lost generation for the church. And so the church spends a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of focus on trying to reach that lost generation, quote unquote lost, right? Like since we're audio, I can't make my awesome little air quotes with my fingers. Um, But that idea of a lost generation. And to kind of flip that idea on its head a little bit, I remember looking at uh, some of the parables of lost things that Jesus talks about, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, um, the lost, the the, uh, prodigal son and prodigal parents, you know, kind of idea. We looked at that idea of being lost, and then I kind of lamented that people were losing their chances to be lost, that for generations and generations, we find God when we feel lost. And in some ways, with the proliferation of technology and increased connectedness, the ability to ask Google whatever question we want and find out the answer right away, we don't need to be lost anymore. And so in some ways we're losing sort of a cornerstone or a foundational piece of our relationship with God because we're forgetting what it is to rely on somebody when we feel lost. So not only are we referred to as like a lost generation from the church in some really kind of weird way, we're losing our chances to become lost. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely on a lot of people's minds these days. Um, the more hyper-connected we are and the more social media platforms that come out, um, I think especially of like Snapchat, which um, is about connectedness, but about brief connectedness. I don't know. Right. I, mm-hmm. I'm not like a super cool millennial who uses Snapchat all the time. Um like barely yeah, never either an app. Yeah. So, uh we should probably di- divert from this conversation. So, 25-year-olds don't think we're really silly. Uh, well, I I definitely like have had to use the filters for some of the events that I've planned, right? Mm-hmm. Um but that one's an interesting one because it is like you want to be able to share moments, right? And so like getting away from the idea of being lost is this idea maybe of intimacy that comes with something like Snapchat, where even though I'm super duper connected across a broad spectrum of things, it's very hard for me to go deep into relationships or be intimate or have intimate and close connections. And I don't mean like like sexy connections, right? I mean like intimate friendships, you know, ones right. where we can sort of share each other's souls and laugh about it, right? Um, that Snapchat is perhaps one of the tools that could be used to combat feelings of loneliness or solitude, even in the midst of connection, because I am going to offer this like immediate intimate look or, you know, like this is a conversation just between me and one other person kind of a thing. Um, But, but, you know, generally the sense of being lost, I think it's complicated for young adults still because there's lots of questions and they're different than ones I was asking in 2012, you know, like, questions about being lost back then, I think were sort of about growing into professional life and thinking that somehow there was this like threshold to adulthood that young adults could cross in a church and then become the regular adults. And now that I'm 
you know, four or five years removed from doing that talk and four or five years older. I don't know if that like threshold really exists. It's kind of a a made up little milestone or marker that we cross to become real adults instead of the young adults that we get labeled as. Mm. So how do you see like what's what's the state of of young adults of that connectedness in in the United Methodist Church right now? Do you feel you feel like that threshold kind of isn't a you know a it's a it's an illusion um but um how do you feel like young adults are connecting taking leadership um building the future of the church yeah well i I think that's a really good question rob like um the idea of adulting in church like what does that look like right am i um am i plugged in and connected with the structure that's in place so that somehow i'm sitting on like a you know administrative council or trustee group or staff parish team or something like that um I don't know if that's the case. I I feel like a lot of young adults that I talk to still are not kind of in those titled positions that are part of the way that it's written that church happens. But I do find that a lot of young adults have a lot of, uh, well, how do I want to say this, like relational capital that even though they might not be sitting on a committee or even necessarily be members of the church, uh, young adults are some of the most passionate people about making a difference and wanting to put their faith into action and really looking for ways that the structure or support of a church community could help their vision for serving the community come into being, um, as opposed to getting on a committee, looking for permission to do something, and then going about you know setting the wheels in motion to do a little world-transforming kind of stuff. Uh, where do you see uh, where do you see some examples of that happening right now, or what are your favorite favorite examples? Um, since you get to do editing, I get to think about this a little while, right? Exactly. <laughs> this is good. Um, let's see. So, giving you plenty of time to Google it. Uh, oh, I'm I'm not going to Google any. <laughs> I just have to think across like some of the examples of what folks have done so far and how far we want to go. So, like in um, so in the Philippines and in the African Central Conferences, our office has been involved in helping plan things called Young Leaders Summits. And those gatherings have brought together young leaders from around the central conferences um, that have already been sort of identified as very passionate young people in their um, local central conference and then come to do together to do some networking and training with each other and learning about um, what is working for them, where they are, and why it's working for them. And that really changes this sort of colonial idea of the church where the church in the U.S. has it right, this is the way that we're going to do it here, and it's going to work for you, and it's going to be great, Um, into saying, no, let's look at some more native understandings of what it means to be in leadership and solutions that are working from a grassroots level and and kind of coming up that way as opposed to doing this real top-down thing. Uh, So I think about 
somebody who has been a participant in those. Um, there's a guy named Collins Echiako, who is a VIM coordinator in Cameroon. And he does a lot of work related to conflict between Christians and Muslims. Um, in Cameroon, they're on one side of the Boko Haram kind of conflict and Boko Haram group, uh, with Nigeria being on the other side. And um, Collins is uh, United Methodist. He's Christian. Like I said, he's one of the VIM coordinators out there. And he does peace resolution and networking of young Christians and young Muslims together um, to reach bridges of understanding because Cameroon itself is about half Christian, about half Muslim. And both those religious groups are looking at what Boko Haram is doing and saying, we need to be able to figure out a faithful response um, to what's happening from Boko Haram. Uh, so Collins is a really, really neat example of someone who has been identified sort of as a leader and grown into a leadership position, and he would be a titled one because of his role with VIM, uh, which is Volunteers in Mission, if I didn't say that already. Um, but came together at this Young Leader Summit gathering to share some of his experiences and then gain knowledge from other parts of Africa where similar conversations between Christians and Muslims are happening to be able to take back and work into sort of that peace-seeking development that he's working on there. Um, I think of, uh, let's see, I would think of a church in Texas that is starting to measure the impact of like the discipleship that they're hoping to inspire in their young adults by the impact that they're having in their community. Mm. Um, instead of just counting attendance, like how many people did we have show up to this thing, uh, they are starting to count um, how did this person's faith inform their ability to see a need and meet a need in the community. Um, and the way that that's taken shape in this congregation in Austin had to do with supplementing uh, the food programs that were at um, some of the local elementary schools. So like when there were breaks or, you know, weather delays, snow days, anybody that was on free or reduced lunches uh, was not getting fed uh, nearly as well as they should have been. And so uh, nutrition was a real worry in parts of this community. And um, there was a handful of young adults from this um, church in Austin that figured out a way to um, open up the kitchen, use the kitchen space in their church uh, to create meals. And so anytime that there's like a you know weather delay, school is canceled, uh, or it's a holiday, those kind of things, uh, there's a meal and there's food and there's volunteers that are prepared and ready at this church to serve elementary age um, kids and make sure that they're getting fed even in the midst of you know weather delays and that kind of stuff from school. And it started out just as a real, you know, once in a while thing. And it's kind of grown into um, a program that actually happens all summer long because as they got into conversations with the schools, they found out that this sense of not knowing where my next meal was going to come from really ramped up during the summer when the academic year was on a break as well. I think it's interesting, um, uh, both both things you talked about um, – remind me of the conversation around millennials and how millennials want to serve. They want authenticity. They want uh, relationship and uh, those, the connectedness and those kinds of things. Um, but oftentimes we do get stuck in that numbers conversation of attendance and apportionments and membership 
and giving and all that good stuff. Because at the end of the day, any movement, I guess, needs financial backing. Do you have a, a sense of, you know, where where young adults you work with um, are in the when it comes to value, when it comes to supporting things they value, whether it be with time uh, or money or both? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, the value conversation is always a really interesting one uh, because I've always been of the opinion that people make time for what they value and they give money and spend money on what they value. So inviting people into conversations to reflect about what are the things that they value in their life, I think is a really important thing to be able to do. Um, I know... From my own experience, you know, I've got two kids now, uh, which is different than when I was talking at Lead the first time. And having a five-year-old and a two-year-old uh, certainly stretches the family budget a little bit farther, right? So uh, I think I used to know what disposable income was. I think I used to know what free time was. <laughs> and so I think that anything that the church does for young adults um, in some ways needs to be easily accessible and easy to attend. So figuring out ways that childcare can be available or childcare can be provided, or if it's a small group of young adults, how they can kind of cost share into a sitter together or something like that, I think is really important. I think that um, in terms of giving or the financial responsibility for participating in a group, I think that that threshold should be really, really low. Uh, I think that if there is a cost to get together for gatherings, um, it's okay to have that there to, you know, kind of cover some food or cover a book that you want to read together or something like that. But in general, those costs have to stay pretty low. Now, when it gets into like giving and stewardship and um, that kind of stuff, I do think that there's money that's out there to be had. But just like you mentioned with, uh, I think you used the word authenticity, and I would tie transparency to that as well. I think there's a real desire to know the difference that my money is going to make when I give. Does that make some sense? That I don't want to give and just have my um, dollars float sort of into this general pool of something that's going to be used for something else. If the church needs money to keep its doors open and to keep the light bulbs on and resurface the parking lot, like that's great. I, I want to know that. I want to know that there's a need and know that I can help meet that need. If um, the youth need money to um, reduce the cost of registration for like a service trip or a mission trip kind of a thing, I want to know that so that I can give to that kind of a thing. So I would sort of tie that sense of wanting relationship that I will give because I feel like we've got a connection to that idea of transparency and authenticity. Like I'll give because I know who we are as a community and what we can do together. And I also know how what I give that is valued, valuable to me because I don't have a lot of it, um, that it's going to be used wisely and used well. Cool. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, what, how, I think you've talked a little bit uh, about it or, or hinted at it um, in earlier questions, but uh, how, would you, how would you change your talk uh, today if you, were, if you were to give it again? How would I change my talk if I was to give it again? Um, I think that I would change my talk to 
maybe include a little bit more attention on the celebration for those things that are found mm. when they're found. Um, because so much of my focus was on the, the lostness, you know, the idea of let's get ourselves lost. God finds us when we get lost. Uh, Moses has his experience with uh, God in the burning bush the first time because he goes after this lost sheep. That there's something about you know breaking from the mold and and getting lost that's really important to be able to find God. Um, but I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what God does when God finds you, um, or what the celebration looks like when we do the finding. And in every one of those stories, uh, the parables that Jesus tells, there's a big celebration there as well. Um, so I would probably want to look at that. I think that having a few more years and um, a few more experiences compared to where I was, I would really want to look at those celebrations. Mm. What does celebration look like to you in 2016? Oh, man. <laughs> I think I'm still finding out. Nice. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, I think about, uh, I don't know, what was the last thing that, that I lost and really found, you know? Um, if we pull it back to relationships, you know, like um, being, uh, let's see, I just had my ninth wedding anniversary and we've got two kids after being married for nine years. And in our relationship as husband and wife, you know, there's kind of those ebbs and flows that go up and down. Right. And um, it's really neat when you sort of rediscover yourself through your spouse or somebody that you've got a really intimate and really close relationship with. Um, and so there's some celebration in that rediscovery, like, oh, yeah, we can laugh about this kind of a thing. Uh, we pulled out our honeymoon videos from Once Upon a Time, and they really were videos. Like, we went on our trip before digital uh, video cameras were the thing. So I had, like, miniature DVDs that I couldn't play in anything. So we hadn't, like, watched our honeymoon footage in nine years. And so some of that rediscovery was just sort of fun, and we could celebrate the things that we had forgotten. Uh, because we were reminded of them. And so maybe I think about that in terms of relationship with church folks or, or a relationship with God, that maybe there's not like a a total losing of yourself, but it's more a, a forgetting. And then God or a caring community that you surround yourself with in a church um, helps remind you and rediscover things. That if something's lost, you're just not going to find it again. But when you find it, you celebrate because you rediscover what it was that was lost, you know, so that coin all of a sudden is more, it's more valuable. The perceived value is bigger to me now that I've got it back than mm -hmm. it was when I ever had it in the first place. Cool. That's awesome. Um, last question of, and I don't know, you know, what you can answer in your, your role with a, a general agency, but, um, <laughs> just tell me which hat to put on and it's fine. <laughs> Where do you personally uh, see the United Methodist Church in four years? Mm, that's a great question. And it's one that I would love to know because part of my role with uh, Young People's Ministries is to plan the national youth event that happens every four years. So, like, we just, you know, set up our contracts and we're going full steam towards Kansas City in 2019. And... I really hope and really want there to be a church that 
still is connectional in four years. Um, because so much of the current conversation is about, well, you know, let's, um, what's a split look like or what does dividing look like? And um, young people, I think, have always been really, really great about wanting to come together and kind of live into um, what it means to be connectional. So um, with like that agency hat on, I really hope and really want there to still be this connectional church in four years. Um, personally, I I really want there to be a church that I can still recognize in four years. Um, and I guess I mean that in a couple of different ways. I mean, structurally, I think um, things can change and probably should change, and it'll be healthy to have some of that organizational or institutional change happen. Um, but I hope that the way that the church is in dialogue about things that we disagree about um, is as civil as it can be and as Christian as it can be and as loving as it can be. Um, does that kind of answer your question? I don't know. That's Yeah, I mean, it's it's how you yeah. feel, so that's the right answer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's a really interesting time to be in the church um, and for a young adult to be in the church because it does have this sense of like an uncertain future kind of a thing. Yeah. But... If anything, uh, you know, in the history of certainly the Christian church and absolutely like the Methodist movement, um, change is a pretty constant thing. You know, there's always new expressions of faith and Christianity and church coming about. Um, so I would also hope that for young adults and for young people in general, that they're not scared away by the uncertainty, um, but instead sort of embrace the chance to be a voice in the way that the church takes shape and changes and evolves to become whatever it needs to be for the transformation of the world. <coughs> Bless you. If that was a sneeze. Actually mute, mute and unmute. Um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to, my follow-up question was what do, what do we tell a 22-year-old who's just graduated college and shows up at a Methodist church, United Methodist Church, that feels authentic and a place of connection for them and embraces the values that they embrace and is leading them on a spiritual journey, but then sort of comes across a news article about, you know, the church might split um, and they have questions about do I want to be a part of a denomination that is fighting like this? I don't know yeah. if there is a, a right answer or if, or if you have one or if, uh, if you do, yeah. I'm going to share it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if there's a right answer either, but I suppose it would come back to relationship and authenticity, right? Like not, not shying away from those conversations. You know, like not kicking them under the rug and saying, oh, you know, just just don't ask that question. That's about the bigger church. That's not about us. Right. Um, if you're part of the United Methodist Church, you are part of a connection. And so in some ways, those big conversations are about your local church and the relationships that are there um, and trying to figure out what that authentic expression of our faith needs to be. Um, so more than anything else, I would just, you know, 
hopefully encourage people to respond with, yeah, let's ask those questions and sit down and talk about it and and wrestle through it and be changed because we do, um, as opposed to just not talking about it or asking them to be like, oh, no, just, you know, don't even worry about it. That's not us. 